The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy and data protection, and we have one of our good buddies that we have been so thrilled to have on our show before, and we got to meet him through the Poneman Institute David Bender from New York City. He's a wonderful attorney. He's been a super lawyer in the Westchester area for many years. And also he was in the New York City Metro super lawyer regarding information technology from 2006 to 2011. Let me tell you a little bit more about David Bender, who is just the best. He's a sole practitioner now with extensive privacy, information technology, and uh, intellectual property litigation, counseling, and transactional experience. He's also an adjunct professor at the University of Houston Law Center, where he teaches privacy law. And he used to be with White and Case, the law firm of White and Case in New York City. But he retired from them in 2007. And at the firm, he headed the firm's global privacy practice. And he was the founder of the White and Case IP, or Internet, uh, intellectual property practice. He served in-house before that with AT&T for 10 years during the latter half of which he was responsible for all of the intellectual property litigation brought by or against the Bell Systems and throughout the country. And before that, he spent five years engaged in antitrust litigation. And before that, turning to law, he served as an engineer with Ford Motor Company's aerospace division, and he was a mathematician with Hughes Aircraft. So we got this really bright, wonderful, friendly, incredible man who is on our show again. And so thank you so much for joining us all the way from the East Coast. So much appreciated, David. I hope I can live up to that, Mari, but it's great <laughs> to be back. Wonderful. Well, I have this book in front of me, and I got to tell you, it's great for an attorney, but it's even more wonderful, I think, for business people because privacy in the information age, which we are in right now, and data protection affects every single company, whether you're a one-person company just sitting at home, uh, in the, you know, running your business from your kitchen, or whether you are a major multinational company, you have to deal with all this privacy and data protection, especially in California where we are, it affects Everybody, our data protection and our security breach laws apply to every single 
business, small or large. So that's what I really liked about this book, David, is that you you didn't write in a lot of legalese. You have a lot of bullet points of do this, 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 and this, best practices. I just think it is a wonderful handbook. And, you know, even though I know California law, I, I went through carefully what you did with the California law, and you had wonderful, you not only did you have all the really important statutes, but you even had re- references to cases throughout this book. And then I don't know New York law, so that was neat for me to look at what you have in New York and, and throughout the country, even have international law. So it is great. So how come you decided to write this, David? Well, you know, uh, way back in 1978, I wrote a book called Computer Law, which was also published by LexisNexis, the same publisher. And I had to update that, uh, and I did. It's, uh, by the way, presently in release number 60 uh, and comprises some six volumes. But back in 1999, I began including privacy material. And within a few years, I began to notice that the privacy section was growing far more rapidly than any other part of the book. And around 2005 or so, 2006, I suggested to LexisNexis, hey, you know, we really need a book on privacy. And it took them a while to come around, but they did come around. And that's how this group, this book came about. You know, I think a lot of people, even though we talk about many types of privacy on our show, I think we need to really talk about, and you hit some of the major issues in privacy. Let's talk about what we mean by privacy and, and some definitions so that the lay people, the business people that are driving by, the students that are listening in, privacy people, let's let's kind of give them an explanation of what you mean by privacy now. You know, privacy has taken on different definitions. You know, the original definition in the U.S. was the old Warren and Brandeis definition of the right to be let alone. Right. Uh, and, you know, and all of everything that's embraced in that. But as as we go on and as technology advances, it's the fastest growing branch of privacy law is something known as data protection, which is the right of an individual to control how these government databases and corporate databases use personal information that relates to the individual. That's been the focus of the law, and that's the direction that the law is going in now. And, and it's tough because with all of the myriad databases and the sharing and the selling and the hacking and that, I feel as a consumer, I don't have a lot of control over my personal information. What do you think about that? Well, you know, uh, I, I, you certainly have a good point. You know, my, my attention was caught about a decade ago by two statements that I saw, um, one pretty soon after the other. One is that famous Scott McNeely. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, you have zero privacy anyway, get over it. Right. And the other, <laughs> a commissioner at the Federal Trade Commission said, you have more privacy today than anyone has ever had before. <laughs> well, <laughs> these are two guys who are supposed to know what the world is all about, who are coming at it from, from very different perspectives. And, and you can take very different perspectives on it. Um, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right, Mari. Uh, we we tend not to have a lot of control over the information that is, imbe- you know, embedded in all these databases about it, about us. But, you know, on the other hand, believe it or not, I think there's there's relatively little um, that uh, you know real harm that so far is coming out of privacy. Now I know you deal with people who suffered in real, you know identity theft, and that right. is very real harm. And, right. you know, that goes on. 
But if, if you look at most instances of, of privacy breaches, uh, there is no harm. And you look at the litigation that's going on and an awful lot of it, and you see that the defendants almost always win because the court says, well, there's no injury. And, you know, you can't recover if there's no, if there's no actual injury. Right. Um, so, you know, we are looking at it and we're coming at it from these two extremes. And it's kind of like yin and yang. You know, they both exist and they're both very different. And it's going to be interesting to see how it resolves itself. Right. How about, you know, I know you wrote about the European Union and you write about European privacy. Could you kind of explain to my audience, especially if, they're, if they wanted to work with companies abroad and, um, and they want to collect information about their customers there, could you kind of give like an overview of the difference between perhaps the European version of how they view privacy versus how we view privacy here in this country? Well, let me begin by making an exaggerated statement. In the EU, if you happen to be holding a record with personal information and you sneeze without getting permission from some government <laughs> agency, you have violated the law. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the EU uh, takes a very rigid view of privacy, uh, and they have this thing called the, the Data Protection Directive, and, and one of the facets of that is that it requires each of the member states of the EU, there are 27 of them, to create an independent government agency known as a data protection agency uh, that is going to be in charge of enforcing the law. And they, they kind of run the gamut from the UK, which is relatively reasonable, to the Spanish uh, agency, which has never seen somebody that it doesn't want to find. Um, and they... <laughs> You know, it, it's quite different from the, the way the U.S. does things now. In fact, the biggest dichotomy I can think of is to compare that with the breach notification statutes that we now have in 46 U.S. states. California passed the first one. And there are people who believe that the California breach notification statute, just the California one, let alone the other 45, has been responsible for enhancing actual privacy levels more than everything the EU and its member states have done. Yes. Those statutes are amazing. They are a, man a manifestation of Adam Smith's invisible hand, the way they work. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, because, well, isn't it that the, the people of the European Union, that they, you can't share information without prior consent, whereas in our country, except for certain uh, exclusions, you, you can share information, and then people have a right to opt out. Is yeah, that kind you of hit the nail on the head, Mari. Yeah. Basically, there are two types of exceptions, or two types of, of bases for disclosing or, or even using information. One is consent, and the other is necessity. The problem, and, and you know, that sounds fine as far as it goes, but the problem is, that they take, in some of those countries at least, a very narrow view of what those two exceptions are. For example, in some countries, an employee, um, as a matter of law, cannot give consent because the, the country deems that there is too much imbalance in the employer-employee relationship. Mm. So you can't use consent for an employee. And they take a very narrow view of necessary as well. So it makes it difficult, and it puts a big load on 
corporations who want to send data from uh, the EU to someplace outside the EU, such as the United States. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the book and, and kind of let my audience know, especially the business people that are driving by, like, what are they, what kind of format are they going to see? I mean, I have it here, but why don't you just kind of explain why you did the format you did yeah. and, and how, how it makes things easy to understand. Okay, well, we decided to do a single-volume book because we wanted somebody to be able to have it on her or his desk, uh, the whole thing there, and we did it soft-covered uh, so that it's uh, not going to be ex- excessively bulky so that people can take it from one place to another. And by the way, it's also available uh, in uh, an e-book format. Right, which is the, great. Uh, any of the e-books. Right. Um, it runs... About 1,400 pages uh, broken up into 26 chapters that are arranged in four parts. Uh, One part deals with U.S. federal law, another part with U.S. state law. The third part deals with foreign law, largely EU. And the fourth part I call emerging issues. Um, And the book is, by the way, it's scheduled to be updated and and reprinted each year. It's going to come out uh, in, in new form every year. And you know what? Thank God. I was thinking that I was reading this book and looking through it and thinking privacy law is so is changing so rapidly that you're going to have you almost could have to update it every six months. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely going to have to be every year because I know even when I write something, uh, the, the laws are constantly changing and evolving and the technology is changing and it's trying to keep up with the laws are trying to keep up with all the technology. Yeah, I can't think of another area of law that is uh, changing as rapidly as privacy law. The EU already has something. <clears throat> they have a proposal to replace that directive that I mentioned a minute ago. Huh. Um, and as you know, we have bills in Congress now, a number of bills in Congress, and they're really serious about it in Congress for the first time, uh, general privacy bills. Um, and, and the state legislatures are just overflowing with privacy bills as well. And, you know, we are one of the few countries that are economically advanced that does not have an actual privacy commission, which is another big difference between us and the European Union and and various countries in South America, right? Yeah, you know, they have this annual conference of data protection commissioners, and I don't know if if they invite anybody from the United States to that conference. Yeah, they used to invite people from the Federal Trade Commission, but, um, you know, because the Federal Trade Commission basically was handling the safe harbor. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've had on several privacy commissioners on my show. I've had Ann Kavukian from Canada. Um, I had Malcolm, uh, what's his last name? Oh, gosh. From Australia, Crump. Yeah, 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 from Australia. And um, so, you know, if they have a, at least they have some enforcement opportunities. They, they they try and work things out. They have ombudsman programs and they do try and help the companies to be compliant. So I just, um, you know, I, I understand that um, even in our country where they're trying to put together, not a commission, but that committee, that privacy committee that they've uh, apparently um, Obama has appointed some people to this privacy committee, but we really don't have that. Do you think that it would be helpful to have that in our country? Uh, you know, it, it probably would. Uh, I don't know that it, it has to be something created from scratch. Maybe it could be created from 
um, that part of the Federal Trade Commission that deals with privacy. That certainly, as, as you indicated, is the agency in the U.S. that is most involved with privacy. And, you know, to the extent that they're able to deal with it, I think they do they do a pretty good job. Uh, we have a very big economy, and they don't, you know, they've got relatively limited resources. Yeah. They, but they can. Right. It almost seems to me, at least from my perspective, that it would be healthy to create a, a kind of like a separate entity because they're so overwhelmed. I mean, now we're going to have that new um, financial protection agency as yep. well that that just is getting off its feet and and that's going to be deal with some consumer financial issues only but um yeah i i don't know it's uh, it just some of the things that i've seen these commissions do in other countries have been pretty good and they haven't just been trying to destroy business but really kind of work with business to help them to kind of see what what they need to do and what would be best for everybody but uh you know, we just don't have it yet. We're the Wild West here. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the really important federal privacy statutes that you have in the book. Yeah, uh, there are a bunch of uh, important ones and then a bunch of less important ones. Among the really important ones are the Federal Trade Commission Act, which is where a lot of the FTC uh, consent orders come out of. They, they, it's, it's very indefinite. They have the authority to go after a company uh, that is engaging in unfair trade practices or in unfair competition in commerce. Uh, and that, it's that broad language that they've been using in a lot of their privacy-related work. And it, that's an incredibly broad statute. That's the same statute that they use, for example, to go after antitrust violators. Right. Um, so... Yeah, I mean that's that they did that with the ATT and T-Mobile. So you know, I mean, they they would not allow ATT and T-Mobile to to conglomerate under ATT. So you're right. I mean, they they do have a huge workload. Yeah, they they really do. Yeah. So so what are some of the other privacy laws that we've got? The federal ones that are really important. How about medical area? The HIPAA? yeah, we we have the uh, the HIPAA. Uh, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which imposes uh, restrictions on, on medical data. They have four rules that have come out of, and um, these come out of the uh, Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and there's a privacy rule, there's a security rule, there is a data breach notification rule, believe it or not, and there's an enforcement rule. And the HIPAA statute is a very uh, detailed and pretty complex one, a very specialized one. Um, but, you know, it really doesn't cover the entire waterfront, uh, although it covers an awful lot. There's still stuff that gets through that HIPAA doesn't cover. Right. Um, and there are other statutes as well, the Fair uh, Credit Reporting Act. Yep, which, and that's an important one. Yeah, you know all about that one. Uh, you know, <laughs> it uh, puts restrictions on credit reporting agencies and those who deal directly with them. The Electronic Communications Privacy Act, which is both a criminal and a civil statute, and uh, it uh, it puts restrictions on wiretaps and on stored communications. It's largely used by the government. The Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, which imposes obligations on financial institutions, that's and the statute that's responsible for these letters that you get once a year from your bank. Right, the privacy notices, right? Privacy notices. 
the COPPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which governs the online acquisition of personal information from kids under the age of 13, the CAN-SPAM Act, which uh, imposes uh, obligations on, on the headers of emails. You can't, you're not supposed to put any false information, and there's certain information you're supposed to have in your emails, uh, such as an easy-to-use and free means for opting out of getting any other commercial emails from the sender. Um, we have the Privacy Act, which is a fairly old govern, government statute. It's directed only at the government, and it puts restrictions on what they can do with personal information. And flip side, we have the Freedom of Information Act, which uh, requires the government to cough up information, but has two major exceptions for privacy, and there's a fair amount of litigation with those. Um, those, I think, are some of the most important federal statutes. Let's talk about some of the really progressive state privacy laws. I think the most progressive privacy law of any kind uh, is this breach notification statute. It, it only state uh, state law right now. There is a, there is you now at least one bill in Congress, but there's no federal uh, requirement generally uh, to notify affected parties in the event of a breach. But these state laws, except for except for the HIPAA. Statute, the HIPAA has yeah, its own, yeah. yeah, 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 but it, it applies only to, to covered entities and medical information. Right, right, right. So, so there's no general federal statute, but there is a there is the HIPAA one. And by the way, there is no general statute anywhere else in the world that requires this type of thing. There are some narrow statutes directed at uh, uh, telecommunications companies that require them to notify their regulators, but that's as far as they go. I oh, I would mention though that this new EU proposed regulation does embody a notification provision. They, uh, under this proposal, um, an entity would have to notify both its uh, regulator and the affected individuals. But what these state statutes do is that they, if there is a discovery of uh, unauthorized acquisition of unencrypted personal information of a certain type, then the uh, owner or the licensor of that data has to make notifications to the affected individuals. And in some instances, in some states, they have to notify the attorney general and also credit reporting agencies. And, and this has really made a major difference. You know, since the beginning of the computer industry, the dirty little secret in that industry has been that these breaches occur all over the place all the time. Yeah. And they would just get swept under the rug, and nobody would ever learn about them. And you can you can understand why it was certainly not in the interest of the people responsible to let the information out, and they didn't. But when this statute got passed in California, all of a sudden they realized they couldn't legally do that anymore, and they had to stand up and salute the problem. Um, and data breaches cost they cost big money. Uh, under these statutes, because you have to go through the, uh, the the details of determining exactly what happened, whose data was accessed, if anybody's, you know, where are they, where do they live? You have to go look at the statutes for each of those states. And if you're a national company, you're looking at 46 different statutes. Um, and then you have to you have to obey each of those statutes, and they are all different when you get down to the nuts and bolts. Panaman Institute estimated that in connection with a major data breach, 
the cost per individual uh, who was affected is something like two hundred and ten dollars. Yeah, that's per individual, and some and many of these data breaches involve hundreds of thousands or even millions of individuals, and that's real money. And that's why in our statute, the, our particular statute in California, we, we had the stick that you have to notify if data was, um, you know, PI high or, you know, personal information was acquired by a third party and who was unauthorized. But we also gave you know, the, the, the stick, but we also gave the carrot. And the carrot was if you do encryption and you make it so that a, that third party can't decipher it, then you don't have to notify. Yeah. So, so that created a real rush on various types of encryption, which, like you said, this is that, that particular law really made a huge change in how businesses dealt with personal information. Yeah, I think there were there were two mechanisms there. One was, you know, they began to see what it cost, and that put the fear of God into them. And then uh, another mechanism was, you know, there are articles on on every really big data breach that has to be notified. It makes, it's embarrassing. Yeah, you see, you read it in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or USA Today, and, and CEOs from around the country read these things. You know, and some of them then go right to their office and they call in their chief privacy officers and their chief security officers and their chief information officers, and they say, am I going to read about us in this context? Right. And, you know, it puts the fear of God into them, and they make real changes. And encryption, as, as you mentioned, is a major change. But there are other changes that they make, and they really tighten things up. You know, it's never going to be perfect. No. Right no. now, I think across the U.S., it's significantly better than it was six or seven years ago. Absolutely. We're, we don't have a lot of time. We have we have a few minutes. So I'm wondering if you could give me some or give the business people who are driving by, if you could give some key points that business owners should be wary of with regard to privacy laws. What are some things that you, some advice you want to give us from New York? I think the most important point is not to ignore privacy. Um, although it's easy to ignore the privacy laws, I think a business owner has to make sure that she or he is aware of the impact that these laws make on his or her business and make sure that the business conforms. And another important point to keep in mind in this uh, regard is that to the extent possible, they should try to implant privacy in their products or services early in the development phase. Uh, Privacy is a lot easier to implement if it's not added as an afterthought, it has to be embedded in the original service or product description, basically. Um, and one more thing the business owner might remember is that in some businesses, especially those directed to consumers, privacy can actually add to the bottom line. Um, it can do this by reducing the risk of these expensive sanctions, by inducing more effective use of information, by reducing customer defection, by reducing brand damage, by enhancing customer image, and, as I just mentioned, by avoiding the cost of a data breach, which can be horrendous. And and it really is a value added. You know, if people know that you are focusing on their privacy and their control over their information, I think they feel valued more, don't they? Yeah, they, and, and I think they do feel valued, and they tend to view you as a good guy. That's right. And I know you're a good guy. So, <laughs> so why don't you tell the name of your book again and where people can get it online? The name of the book is Bender 
on privacy and data protection, and it's available on LexisNexis.com. And if you're a business owner or an attorney or you're really interested as a student and you're really interested in this kind of stuff, you have small business or a large business, this book is great. David Bender's book, it's called Bender on Privacy and Data Protection. David, you are wonderful. We love to have you and we'll have to have you back next year so you could tell us about the new updates to the book, right? Great. It's wonderful being here, Mari. Thank you so much. Have a great day, David. You too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy. Join us every Monday morning right here at 8 a.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and write us emails about what's important to you or what you would like me to talk about with my guests on Privacy Piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.